Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back to another episode of The Sweet Spot. This is John Sherman from Practical Golf. And as always, I'm joined by Adam from Adamy and Golf. So one of the things we love to do on this show is bring in some different voices, give all of you different perspectives on various subjects in golf. And one of those topics we love to explore is the mental game. So with that, we have Jane Story with us today. So Jane, thank you for coming on the show. We were just talking before, our mutual friend David Collins hooked you up with us. So glad to have you on and thanks for taking the time to speak with us today. You're very welcome. Thank you, John and Adam, for inviting me. I'm looking forward to speaking with you both about my approach. Yeah, I've been going through some of your stuff and I'm excited to talk to you. It's some of the things I've probably stumbled on in competition myself and things I'm interested in. So why don't you first tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and, and what you do with golfers? Okay, so I'm an English woman. I'm speaking to you from about 40 miles southeast of London. And I've been practicing martial arts, mostly the Chinese internal martial arts like Tai Chi and Singi and Bagua, alongside meditation, so formal Buddhist meditation, for 36 years. And for the last 20 years, I have been bringing this message of mind-body connection, breathing, centering, let's say a relaxed but ready posture to the world of sport and particularly golf. So you've been practicing Tai Chi, Qigong for 36 years, you said now. I've got 35 years written down. You need to update your website. Oh, I'm too busy. I'll have to get around to that. That's a good thing. Yeah. (laughs) Just joking. So you've got two books out there related to that. You've got Breathe Golf, so the missing link to a winning performance, and then more recently, Connected Golf. Is that right? Connected Golf is more recent? Yes, that's right. That came out last year. And that's all about bridging the gap between practice and performance. Okay, awesome. So yeah, can you discuss that a little bit more? Or it's bridging the gap between technique and mental coaching as well, right? So that's that's a big thing that we talk about a lot. Yeah, I think I'm probably going to use different sorts of terminology because I'm interested in starting a different conversation around golf and sports performance. So previously, golf coaching and performance coaching per se is divided into two main camps. So you have technical coaching and mental game coaching. And very often with a golfer or a high-profile athlete of any sport, those two people don't talk to each other about the athlete. And the athlete will go one day to the swing coach, next day they'll be on Zoom with their mind coach or their psychologist. So from my background in the Eastern arts, martial arts, meditation, they view that as almost nonsensical for many, many reasons. So where to start with with all of this? The first thing is that as human beings, we have a very tenuous thread between our mind and our body. So as we're speaking on this call now and as people are listening, people are mostly distracted these days with all our devices and there's so many demands on our attention. And the attention tends to be only in the head and only in 
taking on board more and more information, knowledge, know-how, tips and tricks. And we don't very often stop to get settled into the body. So let's compare how an elite golfer at the moment prepares for tournament and how a samurai warrior or a kung fu master would prepare for a fight. So the golfer is doing all the mind stuff, all the psychology, you know, thinking positively about themselves, mental toughness, which is talked about a lot in the mainstream, and they'll be going over their technique. The samurai warrior or the kung fu master is practicing mind-body connection. And in my book, Connected Golf, I've talked about team mind-body. When team mind-body operates, movement just flows. The trouble with the mainstream approach is people try to organize movement. They try to control movement with the mind. Now, the samurai or the martial artists, even people like in Korea, they, they have or used to have archers on horseback. So you can imagine a guy sort of thundering along on the back of a stallion with a bow and arrow going to shoot at a target. So the only thing they're concentrating on is their posture and their breathing. And by doing so, the mind and the body help each other. They work as one. So we're getting into the realm of intention and the physical action responding to the intention. You have to stop me because I could talk about this like forever. Well, it is fascinating to me because one of the things we talk about a lot on the show and we're trying to unravel is golfers becoming obsessed with technique and swing thoughts. You know, that's one of our common goals is to kind of unravel all of that. And that's very difficult to do because everything in golf is about the swing. When you take up the game, everything is about the mechanics of it. And I, I guess the hardest part is, you know, my goal for all golfers is to play in an athletic way, seeing the target and react. And I know what that flow state feels like. I play Beautiful. competitively. Yeah, it's, it's a wonderful feeling to get yourself in that state. So I guess my question to you is we don't have you forever. You know, you work with pro golfers, you work with regular golfers. How does this tangibly look? How do you step in to, let's say, a pro golfer who their whole life has been taught I'm going to execute in a way and control my body, as you said, and you are coming in with a different thought process. So can you give me some tangible examples about how you unravel that and then what that looks like for the golfer? Well, any pro athlete, pro golfer or golf professional, as in a teaching professional, if they're really honest about it and if they really look closely at the situation, they'll tell you that any time they've hit a beautiful shot, they haven't been thinking about technique. Yeah, I've been in rooms full of PGA pros. I've been in rooms full of professional athletes. And when people are in that, that zone or in the flow state, something extraordinary is happening, which is beyond the thinking mind's comprehension. And I've interviewed personally hundreds of athletes and spoken to hundreds of people at all different levels, from children of 11 years old, elite tennis players, right up to golfers in their 70s and 80s, tall professionals, recreational players. And they all say the same thing. When you hit the perfect shot, you are present, you are in the moment, you're not thinking too much and you're not trying too hard. So my work is to train that state. And the way that it looks on the golf course, I just came back from the AIG Women's Open. I have a client called Gemma Dryberg. She's Scotland's number one golfer. And she was there and I took my team. I've just, over the last year, I've been coaching up five guys from around Europe to help me teach. And it was really interesting. And I've just posted a blog, if anybody wants to read it from my website, which is we were watching Gemma in comparison to some of the other women. And you can see the other girls 
even the top girls, most of them are in thoughts about what am I going to do in a moment, thinking through their technique. And if something starts to go wrong, they sort of tough it out mentally and try to, I mean, the guys do this more, but try to muscle through the ball. So the approach to golf is always from the outside in. It's all about technique, mind, toughness. Now, when we were watching Gemma, and this is the same on her level as a golfer playing at their local club on a Sunday afternoon, doesn't matter who the, who the golfer is or who the athlete is. But we're watching Gemma, and what was different about her is that she's preparing from the inside out. So I, I write in my books about an inner setup. So she's trying to bring the awareness down into the body, into the breathing, and apply what are called the four fundamental actions of Tai Chi. So these are written about in Connected Golf, but quite simply, the four fundamental actions are to empty the chest, bring awareness to the Dantian, which is the centre of gravity. And this downwards motion, this sort of compression or vertical force down through the golfer's body enables the legs to really become the powerhouse of the swing. And the fourth action is to really feel the feet on the ground. So I don't know if you guys are old enough, but you must have heard of Bruce Lee, the Kung Fu master. Yeah, <laughs> Bruce Lee. We're both 40. Well, John, John is. I'm 40, officially. He looks so young. Adam's still hanging on over here. Still in my 30s, as David <laughs> Brent would say. <laughs> if you watch Bruce Lee movie, the first thing he does before he strikes his opponent is he kind of crunches down into the ground. Yeah, he'll empty the chest and produce that vertical force down into the ground, which gives him the ground force energy to power the punch. And everybody knows the story about the one-inch punch, where Bruce Lee just had his forefinger on the, his opponent's shoulder, tucked down, applied these four fundamentals, and then powered up from the ground and sent the guy absolutely flying. So the whole premise of my work is that I don't believe it's the golfer's job to try to hit the perfect shot. All right. I suppose there's gasps and people think, oh, what is she talking about? I think our audience is a lot more open-minded than you think. We say some stuff that's not typical of the golf world. So you're in a, a friendly zone here. Am I here. in a friendly company then? Yeah. I mean, listen, okay. we, we talk about this. I talk about all the time, the crazy stuff that runs through my head in tournaments, how I use my breath and my pace of walking. I'm fascinated by this stuff because I know what the zone feels like. I'd like to get there more often, but from someone like you and our, our listeners are always looking like, what can I tangibly do? And, and I think you're alluding to like that work has to start off the golf course. You can't just show up and say, oh, I'm feeling Zen today. <laughs> no, it's all nonsense. When people start writing about it and teaching it without having a, a body of practice behind them, it never works. I mean, I've even heard some of the top guys, I won't mention any names unless you want me to, but I even heard one of the top guys, you know, an open, former open winner. He was talking about thinking about the present moment. And that's nonsensical. One cannot think about the present moment. The present moment or being in the present moment, in the now, is actually the absence of thinking. It becomes very much about being in the body and in the breathing. But you see, nobody will pick up on that. A psychologist might read that or, or even teach that. I mean, I'm reading a book at the moment that somebody gave me about the martial arts. They're calling it a mindset. And to me, that's a complete misunderstanding. It's nothing to do with a mindset. This is all to do with a daily performance practice that brings a connection between mind and body. So it's the mind-body connection. So a lot of what you do is off the course as well, kind of meditative practices to train people to, I don't want to say improve focus of attention. I mean, we actually talk a lot about focus of attention on the podcast. 
you know, I'll outline kind of five different types of attention that we talk about is one, what you've already said, the technical focus where people are in their body, but thinking about movement, you know, they're, they're trying to control movement. And we say that while it has value in certain circumstances, for the most part, we're trying to get people away from that and get them more into external focuses, you know, which have been studied extensively. I don't know if you know uh, where of Gabrielle Wolf's work and, you know, the large body of work on internal versus external. I'm sure you're aware of it. So things like the task, more of the task, you know, brushing the ground in the right place, hitting a certain part of the face, or even more target awareness. Those are what we call external. Now, where we're getting in this conversation, I believe, is more towards things like neutral and I call it transcendental focuses. So neutral would be something that is maybe not related to the movement directly, you know, like breathing. Or I do a routine with people where we count. And that seems to have several benefits for certain people as well. And then transcendental focus is, is more a non-focus, really. You know, Tiger Woods talks about being in the zone, you know, hitting shots where he can't even remember setting up to the shot, really. So there's all these different types of focus that we've talked about. And I believe yours would fall more under like a neutral focus. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, or, or maybe there's a new category of focus that we haven't discussed. Well, I think all the categories that you're giving there, they've probably been identified by mental game coaches and psychologists. So they're mostly, what am I going to do with my mind? Mostly. But what I teach people, what I coach, and what I do myself every day is a performance practice. So I'm asking people to sit quietly in meditation for 20 minutes and to stand in meditation, a form of qigong or standing practice, which is integral to all the martial arts, to do that for 15, 20 minutes a day. So therefore, the things that you're talking about it becomes quite different. You've been talking about internal and external focusing. And what I'm helping my clients to do is to have both going on at the same time. For instance, when a golfer is standing on the tee, because they've practiced their standing meditation practice, and this is all outlined in Connected Golf, over time, they become able to keep their some of their attention on themselves. So self-awareness, relaxing, but not too much, you know, and that, to, to create a relaxed but ready athletic posture with the attention anchored in the center of gravity following the breathing. But at the same time, they see the target they can visualize the shape of the shot they want to make, but they're staying connected to the body all the time. So think back to what I said about the archer on horseback. They're not thinking internal, external, neutral, looking at the target technique. They're just posture, posture, breathing, posture, breathing. And I'm sure you know this, but the meditative state and the flow state, they are almost one and the same thing. I think there are different levels. I think flow and the zone and mindfulness, Zen mind, they're all slightly different levels. But when somebody sits in meditation, they stop talking to themselves about their performance and they stop talking to themselves about external distractions. You become quieter inside. People might be talking or the weather might have changed or the score might not be going the way you want but there's but you stay in that moment and the moment is devoid of all these I'm going to breathe in for a count of four breathe out for a count of five shift my focus from external to neutral it's devoid of all that it just is the moment I think one of the biggest challenge, like the question we always get asked is, especially for people who are competing at a high level, like I, we, whatever golfer is out there for four or five hours. And even worse, if you're in a competitive state and you have golfers who are playing for their livelihood, they know where the cut is and all this stuff. So it's natural for their mind 
to wander to these things. So when you're working with people and they are going into this state for 15, 20 minutes a day and working on that, what's the expectation of what the mind's doing? Because I know one of the practices of mindfulness is like, you know, if you do start thinking about your scores, you're not getting angry at yourself. You're just letting that happen. So what is the expectation you set for your golfers? Like the woman you were speaking about last week, she's playing in a major. She obviously has goals she wants to reach and playing for money. Like, how do you deal with that stuff where the human brain naturally goes? Because you can't turn it all off, right? No, you can't, not at all. But in the process of the performance practice and the meditation day by day, you hone your ability to continually come back to the breathing, continually come back to it so that when you are there on the, you know, 14th green and, you know, the weather starts changing and you've got to make this clutch putt, that you actually have something tangible that you can call upon. You've got your practice that you did that morning, you know, a a closer relation to the body than the other competitors who were maybe going through their swing menu or thinking through technique or just trying to tough it out mentally. But it's a long, long process. I've looked into different breathing methods and I've experimented with a few, you know, there's box breathing, there's four, seven, eight. What's the type of breathe? I'm just like trying to understand and curious the type of breathing that you are working on that that the golfer is doing on a daily basis. Anything they're focusing on? Is it just the sensation of breathing in general, nothing specific. I'm just curious to get some more color on that. Yes, of course. I do apologize. I am so old school. And because I've been doing this practice like forever, I'm not interested in mindfulness. I see it as often quite gimmicky. And it's being taught by people that don't necessarily have a daily practice. It has a certain amount of value, but nothing like the effort and the discipline and also the reward that comes from sitting quietly. You own it when you train properly. You start to enjoy your practice more. You enjoy your golf more. You see the rewards and it helps you make more of a commitment the next day to your practice. So in Breathe Golf, I speak, well, I write at length about the meditation that I'm teaching, and it's pure zazen. It is what the Buddhists practice. There's a wonderful book called Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind by a Zen monk, Japanese Zen monk called Shunryo Suzuki, and it's his practice of sitting quietly with the attention drawn to the lower half of the abdomen, to what the Japanese call the hara center, and the yogis call that the hara center. I would call that the dantian from tai chi. And we're trying to be aware of the posture, straight back, head erect, shoulders empty, a softness in the front of the body, and a strength in the hara center. And maintaining that or continually coming back to that awareness enables the breath to become deeper and slower, longer in the body. And this, of course, reduces anxiety. It counteracts any form of a stress response in the nervous system. And the process itself is what quietens the mind. Because all these things you've mentioned are if box breathing and all of this, this is all simplified, watered down versions of ancient practices like qigong, pranayama. So I'm saying, well, don't cheat yourself because Gemma Dryberg, who I've spoken about, I was talking with her about it one day. I said, what do you think of all this mindfulness and counting your breathing? What is it like when you're out there? Because she had tried that before with a mind coach. She said in those circumstances when you're under pressure, it just gives you another layer of stuff to think about. And we don't want to think. Your mind isn't playing sport. 
And in fact, the only way that the mind can be of any positive influence on the body, on the release of complex movement, is if it shuts the hell up, <laughs> gets out of the way. I'm genuinely fascinated by this. So you, you are, and I think it's even harder now, as you mentioned earlier in the show, is that unfortunately with our phones and the internet, I feel it, my attention span is... <laughs> getting shorter and shorter. And I actually enjoy playing competitive golf because it's a place where I can actually focus more and I I enjoy that spot. So again, I'm pushing you on the tangible stuff and I'm curious is that, so you believe that the 15, 20 minutes a day of just sitting there and being, and then it sounds like you have some specific problems, but you're not telling someone like, it's just breath as it comes to you and focusing on the lower abdomen. The yeah. So you're not, you're <clears throat> exactly. not guiding yourself. I know that people use some guided meditations and stuff like that. This is just dark room, light room. Does, does it matter to you? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely curious. <laughs> I'm not much of a taskmaster. I'm not chaining my students to like a chair. Yeah. So there, can you do it while you're walking? I'm curious about that. Cause I walk every day for 45 minutes and I try and my best to shut my mind off. Is is that helpful, do you find, as well? We are going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. When you're hiring for your small business like I have to, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to find the right professionals for your team faster and free. And you can always support us by checking them out at linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot. LinkedIn is not just another job board. It is a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. I know a ton of people who are using it for multiple reasons, and LinkedIn has absolutely exploded over the last few years. There's wonderful content on business ideas, but more importantly, it gives you access to professionals that you can't find anywhere else. Anyone who runs a small business knows that hiring is easy when you can get that quality candidate. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate from LinkedIn Jobs within 24 hours. LinkedIn knows that people like me and other small businesses like Adam or maybe you are wearing so many hats and you might not have the time or resources to hire. It's not like all of us can have our own HR department. That's why there are over 2.5 million small businesses using LinkedIn for hiring. If you want to give it a shot and post your job for free, go to linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot. That's linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It is very helpful. And I have some clients who, you know, they resist the seated practice with all their might, <laughs> but, but still they can't quite let go of the whole concept. And they will focus on the posture and the awareness in the Dantian when they're walking. And in fact, it is an ancient practice, Taoist practice of walking meditation it's very simple but of course it isn't easy i don't think it's meant to be easy but all the research that i've done around the meditative state is it enables the release of complex movement under pressure this is the whole reason for my life this is the whole reason behind my work and what i've discovered on my own journey is that the quieter the mind the more fluid the movement. And it's really that simple. So we can't quieten the mind by using mind techniques, can we? It doesn't make any sense. You quieten the mind by following the breathing, just sitting there following the breathing. But what happens over time is that people obviously... People, some people hear the message and they say, yes, that's for me. A lot of people go, my God, no, thank you. I can't do that. You know, and they'd stick with their mindfulness app. But if people hear the message and they say, okay, I'm going to try that. 
mostly what happens is people have an immediate, wow, I shot the best round I've ever shot. And then my golf is fantastic. And then, of course, the hard work begins because, you know, Gemma, when she won in, in Japan last year, you know, she's like, oh, I've won, I've won. Well, get back to your practice, you know, the next day. I think the most frustrating part of golf, whether we're talking about recreational players or even pros, is the variability of the results and how much of it can be out of your hands. Do you talk about that with your players at all? Like when they're saying like, oh, I missed six cuts in a row. What am I doing? Like I'm trying I'm trying this breathing stuff every day for 20 minutes, but I'm missing cuts. Now what? Like golfers get so sucked into results because literally we have an, a number attached everywhere. And my goal is to get people away from that number, but it's still there. And I'm just curious how you've, those conversations you have when golfers get into ruts like that. Well, people, when they start, they have glimpses of what's possible and they hit a beautiful drive over the water or they make an eagle putt. And when we talk about what was going on in the moments before that happened, They'll say, yeah, I was, oh, my chest was relaxed. I was focused on the Dantian. I was applying those four fundamentals. So they get these glimpses. But, of course, the whole thing is a struggle with oneself. And wasn't it the great Jack Nicklaus? He talked about self-mastery. Golf is a game of self-mastery. So we're, this practice is about, it's not talking yourself out of all your demons or talking positively to yourself when you feel in a bad state. It's just about quietening everything down. And yes, people do struggle. But then, as I say, they get glimpses of what's possible. And that feeds into the following day's practice. And I'll sit again. And it might take weeks. It might take months because people are so ingrained with the old habits. But the people who are consistent with their practice end up enjoying their game a lot more. They end up winning more tournaments. So I see it as a, it's not easy to start with. It's like, you know, anybody can buy a gym membership, but who goes every day? Who goes three times a week? It's really only a a small percentage of people, isn't it? And it's those people that I want to speak to if you have the tenacity and the wherewithal to, to, to do this, it becomes a self-fulfilling cycle. And we know that the only way to be truly and authentically happy with oneself is personal development, self-development. And the rewards that come back when people have made this tremendous effort and they're out there and they're in the in the flow state and they're enjoying their game and they're hitting these beautiful shots. And they know that it's a, as a result of trying to be more present over the ball. There's nothing like it. And of course, the results seep into people's everyday lives. People sleep better. People's relationships are better. You know, people don't get stressed out when they're on the freeway. So if someone wanted to start this type of daily practice, it sounds like 15 to 20 minutes is doing 60s probably overkill is starting at three to five. Like for people who are just sitting there and be like, oh God, after five minutes, my mind is going crazy. I can't do this. What you're suggesting, I've tried multiple times or some version of it. And I found it in the beginning, three minutes was hard and then six minutes was easier. Like, do you like people to ramp up? just to build the practice? Or are you saying just go for the 15 to 20 right from the beginning? Yeah, some of my coaches are a bit kinder with their clients (laughs) than I am. So they'll start them off with uh, five minutes or 10 minutes, but I just like to throw people in, you know. It's difficult. I mean, it can take 10 minutes for your mind to quieten down before you even get into the practice. But isn't it interesting how... Our society now is so resistant to inner quietude and equanimity and and peace. Everybody wants it, but, you know, who's going to do the work? 
Well, I think it's just harder. Everything is designed to not be that way. We have this device next to us buzzing and this need to check things all the time, emails, social media, not to get into a deeper philosophical conversation here, but it worries, you know, worries me for myself, my brain, my children's brains. It's, it's very hard to fight against. So I imagine there's even way more resistance to stuff like this than there was 20, 25 years ago where we didn't have as many opportunities to be distracted. Like our attention is literally a commodity at this point. People pay a lot of money for it. So yeah, it's hard to fight against it. That's why I'm curious to talk to you, Bess, because like I, I think about this stuff a lot, and I'm trying to, when I play golf, enjoy it and quiet my mind as much as possible. And I know the exact sensation you're talking about, but it, it's hard to get there often because, again, it's we're out there four or five hours. It's a difficult task. Yeah, you're right. It's frightening what you've said, isn't it, that our attention has become a commodity, which big corporations are sort of buying over to grab it. So this is about empowerment. It's about taking back your power, isn't it? And almost going against the mainstream and going against the whole way that things are. Attention is something, it's so precious. We squander it and we're distracted all the time on things that, that aren't important and in fact are nothing to do with our own lives. You know, watching other people on Twitter or Instagram. So it's empowering, it's rewarding when the mind is quiet and the body is trained to be athletic but relaxed at the same time. Then all these movements, these complex movements like the golf swing, the jump shot in basketball, you know, the triple salco in figure skating, half pipe routines in snowboarding, alpine skiing the tennis serve, tennis backhand, they all become absolutely sublime. And, you know, you only have to start looking at at the top athletes and listening to them, and they'll all say that their mind was quiet before some of their greatest shots. Everything you talk about, you know, you hear in interviews from people like Michael Jordan, you know, the best of the best. And another question I have for you, because you deal with different sports, do you think golf is a unique challenge versus a game like soccer, sorry, football in the UK, where you're reacting, you don't have as much time in between the action and golf, we're initiating the action, we don't have teammates, we're not reacting in the moment, it's more of this walk for three minutes, initiate, and you have all this time to think about what your body's doing. I think that's why golf is a unique challenge because Whereas, you know, playing other sports, someone passes you the ball and a defender's coming at you. You don't have as much time to think about what your body is going to do. You're reacting more. Not to say that that burden doesn't exist in those sports, but working with golfers and other athletes, have you found that at all? Does the message change at all for a team sport like that? Well, first of all, I think golf is the worst example in sport of the fact that the golfers and the way that it's taught, they're coming less and less, they're coming away from this intention and the body responding to intention. They're coming away from that. It's become like checklist golf. Let's think through this menu of all the things that we're going to do in a minute. And that's all fine. It all works fine until pressure comes into the equation then the biochemistry changes, the breath changes, nerves, anxiety are aroused, the heart rate goes up, adrenaline comes in. And there's no psychology, there's no technique that can counter that, only the work that I'm speaking about. In other sports, Yes, they are more reactive, but you still get the penalty shootouts or an open court in tennis with the opponent, you know, stumbled on the baseline. And as soon as the player thinks about how they're going to get that ball over the net, of course, it goes straight into the net. So it happens in all sport. The advantage for golf is that there is all this time, but that we're not using it 
in the most advantageous way. So standing over the board, instead of thinking about what am I going to do in a minute, which takes you out of the present moment, there's an opportunity there, isn't there, to get into the breathing, empty the chest, find the center of gravity, feel the feet on the ground. I mean, how many times have golfers stood over a golf ball and they're not even aware of their body? just thinking about the shot than what they want to do. Thinking about the water hazard over there. Yeah. Well, that's what the game tricks you into. So again, I'm just trying to, because I always get, you know, a million emails and things like what, everyone wants tangible stuff. And when you play golf and we're, our show is really more for the average recreational player who wants to get better. But again, you know, they're going out on the weekends, playing with some friends and stuff like that. And I'm of the mind that I love golf as experience. I love making conversation with my partners. I love being grateful to be out there and all of those things. Is there like a line that you draw, like an imaginary line, like other people have talked about this in golf. And it's like, you know, when I get around my ball, then I'm like switching on this thing. Whereas I might have been joking around with my friend 30 seconds beforehand, but when I'm arriving at the shot, it's like, okay, I'm going through this thing that feels like it's kind of autopilot and I'm just going through it. And I've gotten better. As you said, the less I can take my mind out of it and conscious. It's like driving a car. I always go back to this example that was in Dave Stockton's book about putting It's called unconscious putting is a wonderful example is that when you drive a car and let's say you're just driving, you have no idea what's going on. You're not thinking about the pressure on your feet and what your hands are doing. But the second a police officer gets in your rear view mirror, all of a sudden you're like guiding the car and you're consciously thinking about it. And he's like, that's how golfers putt. You know, there it's like there's a cop car behind him. I think that's how they play golf. And when you can turn it off, as you said, that's where the magic happens, where you're just kind of initiating this thing. So do you like draw any kind of line where it's like, again, we've got five hours out there. Some people are out there for six hours. I'm curious on your thoughts on that. So when you're walking between shots, I always advise people to enjoy the golf course because, you know, you could be angry about what's just happened or you're thinking about what you're going to do on the next shot. So it's very good for the brain and for the biochemistry and the nervous system to just open the senses and be aware of the sound of the birds singing you know, feel the breeze, look at the mountains or the sea or whatever is around. And then things change when you start to approach the ball. And it's not that you go into a mental checklist, but it's that you reconnect with the body. So bringing the attention into the center of the body, which, as I've said, is called the Dantian. It lies about two inches below the navel area. And it's actually your body's own center of gravity. Obviously, you'd be training this with your seated and standing practices day by day. But as you approach the ball, your focus becomes more on the practice. So you're accessing this place that you have gone to every single day. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And you're accessing it through a repetition of the practice or the application of the practice, or putting the practice into a process so that you maintain a connection with yourself so that you don't go into a whole mental gymnastics thing about what am I going to do, how am I going to shape this shot, mind, 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 mind. Even when you visualize, I mean, I've been having these conversations with people about the great Jack Nicklaus, who was my idol. I mean, he is the reason that I started on this path. That's maybe for another time. But a lot of people, a lot of players, the old older generation players like Gary Player, they've all said that Nicklaus had a really tough mind, really tough. And I would question that. I think he had a quiet mind. I think he had a quiet mind. And because his mind was quiet, he had this amazing visualization routine where it would begin with the end, like Stephen Covey and the Seven Habits. He talks about beginning with the end in mind. So Nicholas was doing this automatically. 
he would see the ball lying high up on the grass and then he would see the arc of the ball through the air and then he said the picture would change and he would imagine he was sitting watching himself on television swinging the club in a way that would produce that ball flight that would end in that result but all quiet quiet mind and with the intention so the body follows the intention as it does if I want to, you know, throw, not that I will, but if I wanted to throw my glass across the room or pick up my guitar over there or answer the phone, it's an intention and the body responds to the intention. I guess the natural question is how much <laughs> resistance have you met? Again, this is a, this is a very mechanical game. And when golfers hear stuff like this, and, and to be fully honest with you, like I do love hearing this stuff because I think it can open people's minds up to something different. I don't expect everyone to all of a sudden take over this practice. I just love exposing people to different ideas. And I've tasted some of this. I'd love to get more of it. So that's why I'm fascinated by it. But, you know, I'm sure you've you've spoken to people and, you know, you're met with a ton of resistance and people don't like simple in golf, I find they, they love more complicated answers. Yeah. And they want to dismiss it and think, well, I already know that. Oh yeah. I know all about this breathing. Or I was thinking about my breathing. Sometimes I get messages from people that say, I was thinking about my breathing and this stuff doesn't work. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I didn't ask you to think about it. Did I? I asked you to follow it and be in the body with it. But resistance, you've no idea. I mean, I've been, I've been at this for 20 years because it, what I'm saying is true. It's not my idea. I haven't suddenly thought, oh, meditation, what a great idea. But any karate school, you know, they've done tests where they've got two karate schools that are fighting against each other. And it's always the group that practices meditation that wins. We know this, we just resist it because we've got so used to squandering and giving our attention away to endless crap. <laughs> Unfortunately, I've contributed to that crap, so I'm sorry, everybody. <laughs> but team mind-body plays golf a lot better than you do. Like I said, it's not the golfer's job to try to hit the perfect shot. It's the golfer's job to try to be more present to bring their mind and their body together. And this allows movement to come through. It allows the flow state to come through. But do you think there's a time and a place for, you know, we talk a lot about practice, for example. Obviously, there is a massive physical element to sport. I couldn't tell someone who has a horrible slice to just do this and expect better results. Like they need some type of answer mechanically to make that golf club not do what it's doing but i would you see i would say if they had the wherewithal to stand there quietly for five or ten minutes a day and then you see well where am i balanced where's my attention why are my shoulders up around my ears why am i swinging or initiating the swing with my shoulders and my chest no amount of swing coaching is going to change that if the person lacks awareness of themselves. And if you do have self-awareness, you can pretty much sort those things out on your own. Didn't Niklas do that? Didn't Ben Hogan do that? And isn't Ben Hogan held up as the archetypal swing? Well, I would counter that Ben Hogan was famous for his quote of finding it in the dirt. I'm paraphrasing there, but he was a range rat. He did hours and hours and hours of intentional practice trying to mostly, from what I understand, not hook the ball. And he wrote a book about a lot of mechanical things. So again, I'm not necessarily disagreeing with what you're saying about the mind, but we also acknowledge when we talk to golfers is that there is a physical, technical element that is. can't be ignored. Because again, if you just take up a game, like let's say you took someone who is an absolute beginner in golf, something needs to be done to allow that person to complete the physical and, and honestly satisfy what physics is demanding an impact to hit the ball a little bit closer to where they want it to go. 
that's right. But in swing coaching, there's very little attention paid to balance, to the center of gravity, to how to create a relaxed but athletic stance. So in Connected Golf, I've documented the way that I call them fundamental movement principles, which are the same across all sports, rooted in the legs, fluid in the waist, relax the upper body. There are principles, physical principles that we can train. If all movement comes from the ground, for instance, then we need to be properly balanced. And I'm challenging where many golfers are actually positioned on their feet. I mean, from there's five generations of the same Tai Chi family, the young family, who identified an exact location on the bottom of the foot where we're balanced, properly balanced. I was listening to the Carl Morris podcast that you were on and you were talking about the balance point on the foot and you said you could do a whole episode on that, actually. I mean, where is that point? Because <laughs> I know you said it wasn't the ball of the foot. Just before I do that, my work is divided into two distinct pillars, if you like. One is about the breathing to quieten the mind, control the anxiety, control the biochemistry, reduce mental interference. That's all in breathe golf. The other side is the body. How do you train the body to be athletic but relaxed? How do you train the body so that it can respond immediately to the intention? So part of that is the balance. Because if we're not balanced properly, then everything else becomes a controlled mistake. So in the lower leg, the inside of the lower leg, so running from the knee down to the inside of the ankle, you've got the tibia bone. And the job of that bone in physiology is to support 90% of the body weight. So there's a point on the front inside part of the heel that the Tai Chi masters call the power point. You need to have the whole foot flat, but you mustn't be on the back of the heels or on the balls of the feet because then you're not quite balanced. And that place on the foot corresponds to the muscles right at the tops of the legs by the inguinal crease, which is where when you sit down and you, you, where your torso meets your legs, basically. So in Tai Chi, they call that the qua, or you could refer to the psoas muscles at the tops of the legs, which are the muscles that swimmers use. So there's a direct correlation between that place in the muscle at the tops of the legs and the power point. These are all principles that are hundreds of years old. You know, both Tai Chi and Kung Fu masters were working on this before anybody thought of biomechanics. And loosening the chest and being centered in the, in the navel area gets you into the muscles at the tops of the legs and into that power point. And then when your body is set up so that your upper body is soft and relaxed, your lower body is really strong and rooted to the ground, then you rotate around the center of gravity, which if you, if you imagine it's like a golf ball, in the navel, underneath the navel, inside the body, so if it sits just in front of the spine, that's your point of centrifugal force or centrifugal force around which the upper body can rotate quite freely without disturbing the structure and the stability of the lower body. And, of course, that helps movement become three-dimensional and it gives an anchor point to movement. So if you trace the path of the swing, rather than having to think and worry about swing planes, if you actually get yourself positioned properly on the feet, loaded in the legs, and you turn around the Dantien, you come back to exactly the address position because you've moved around your own center of gravity. My brother has done Tai Chi and Kung Fu for over 25 years. So I've seen the effect it's had on its life and it's been quite profound for him and he's very much bought into it. So I've seen it. But I guess the question I'm just wondering, I'm with you on like, again, we're not 
pro technical mechanics dominating the mind ever. But even when I watch my brother learn Kung Fu, like there is a demonstration in addition to everything you're saying, like on actually the physical movements he was doing to engage in sparring and all that stuff. So there was some type of technical instruction on how to do the movements properly. Yeah, well, we have all that. So with my clients, when they've, you know, gone through a few weeks or months of sitting and standing in the performance practices, then the body and the mind are more united. The mind is a lot quieter. There's much more connection to the ground. The upper body is a lot freer. And then we start doing movement drills, you know, from Tai Chi, from Qigong, from Kung Fu. I mean, I was with my team at the weekend and I was helping them move from the Dantian as opposed to moving from the shoulders. And it becomes, you know, sort of a whip-like action, you know, spin, spinning around the center of the body. So there's a whole program. I mean, there's this whole body of 36 years practice and 20 years of putting a program together. And lots of clients that I work with, I mean, I'm with them for years, you know, if they start on this path. But it all starts with what are you going to do tomorrow morning? What are you going to do before you go to bed tonight? You know, if you want something, you know, if where you are now and what you want, if they're different, the only way to get where you want to be, a great athlete, club champion, in the top 10 in your state, if that's what you want, you need to change something about your day-to-day life between now and getting where you want to be. You can't just keep doing the same thing. You can't follow the pack. You can't just listen to YouTube all day and night. We're with you on that. (laughs) (laughs) I've expressed a desire to want more clarity on this stuff. And myself, I I think it's really important, especially I think at the beginning of the day, like starting your morning off right. Sometimes I go into just making my coffee and going straight to the computer. And I would love to actually, yeah, of course. I know it's not, I know it's not the right thing to do. I love to quiet (laughs) myself before I get into my routine, but you know, I have a business to run. I've got kids that wake up in the morning, you know, life gets in the way. So obviously this is all easier said than done. And we don't have you forever here, but I am glad that you brought up a lot of this stuff, particularly the just existing and being and even what you discussed, like looking at the trees and stuff like that's in my book. I've found those things to be incredibly helpful, taking moments when we play golf to be grateful and soaking in the gift and the experience of being outside and not being stuck on our computers. Like I actually think golf can become a more meaningful thing to people as we get more and more who knows what it's going to be like in 20 years with technology and what we're plugged into. So I think it's kind of like an antidote to that. And I think some of the stuff you're talking about can be incredibly helpful for people to heighten that experience. It's really getting back to something that's more natural. You know, we've come so far away from nature and from our own nature. It's just getting back to being, to being natural, almost like, I don't know, it's how we should be. And we're being forced to be different. We're being forced, aren't we, by huge corporations and the system to develop in a particular way. But, I mean, this work, it's not easy, but it's seen me through so many really, really painful and difficult times in life. It ends up being... It doesn't just help with your golf and your sport, but it helps with your family, with your children. It helps with major life changes. It helps through bereavement. And it helps if anybody has mental health struggles. Inner quietude is the panacea for all ills and and definitely for golf. And I see this all the time with my clients, whether they're pros or whether they're amateurs. It's not easy, but I don't think it's meant to be easy. And if it was easy, it wouldn't be so rewarding. No, I agree that everything you've talked about is incredible. It's every. I often find myself repeating the same thing. Simple to understand, but hard to do. So I think this definitely falls in that category. The other thing is that because our minds are so busy and they're flitting from one video to another, because the mind is so busy, 
the mind wants to understand all about meditation and why the hell should I bother doing it? <laughs> the mind wants to understand, whereas in fact, it's absolutely nothing to do with the mind. It's the absence of mind. It's the quietening down of the mind. And the mind rebels against that, but it wants to understand all about it. But I've had people read my books and then they'll do six months practice and then they read the book again and they're like, oh, okay, I get it now. And they read it again and they carry on, you know, another six months practice and read it again. And with me, when I read Shinryu Suzuki, Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind the first time, I was like, what the heck, what's he talking about? You know, but then you do your practice and you understand from a deeper level, not from an analytical level, but something else. From your being, you understand from your inner being. In golf instruction, there's so much information. I mean, there's always been so much information, but especially now, you know, you have more and more apps coming out, more and more websites, YouTube. And, you know, even with swing analysis, people can put their swing on video now and you have all these angles come up and it tells you how you differ to a pro. And I think while that has a place, certainly we talk about the dangers of that on this podcast. And, you know, I think this is a nice conversation to have to, like you said, you, you can read it, you can understand it, you can even do it sometimes, but you need to constantly revisit it. You need to constantly come back to it. So, yeah, even if people listening to this know about it, you know, for the next week, I urge you to all practice some of what you're talking about or even get some of some of your products and explore this even more, even deeper. There's so much free stuff as well. You know, I'm not here trying to sell meditation. I mean, there's been a huge, not a conflict, but it's I continually question it because I'm I'm not trying to sell meditation. There's tons of stuff on my website that's free, free training reports. There's blogs, other podcasts, YouTube videos. There's a ton of stuff to help anybody who wants to practice. But it was so interesting, maybe as a, as a final anecdote, if, if that's okay. I won't give his name because he's a new client, but I had a, a European pro golfer flew over to the UK with his swing coach to meet up with me a couple of weeks ago. And it was very interesting when we went out on the course. I mean, he's, he loves his swing coach. They've been together for, you know, I think maybe 14 years or 20 years. But the golfer has, he used to be very high level. And since he started struggling with his nerves and anxiety, he hasn't been able to get back into that sort of top 20 or top 10 position. So what was really interesting after we talked over lunch and we went to the practice range for a while, when we went out on the course, I was looking at the golfer and the swing coach was looking at the ball flight, the result of the shot. And every time I said to the golfer, beautiful, lovely, well done with your balance, or yeah, I could really see that you were in the Dantian there, or beautiful, your shoulders were moving really freely, so every time he applied something that he'd learned in his performance practice, the swing coach was going, oh, fantastic shot. What a shot. Brilliant. You know, I should have videoed it for like everybody to see. There was a direct correlation between the application of the practice and the flight of the ball. So the more connected you are on the inside, the more your swing is connected. So you can physically see that then? You can physically see the internal connection? Yeah, I can see it. It's interesting, actually. It's just because I've been doing this for so long. But my team, when we were watching Gemma last week and at the weekend, they could start to see. I'd love you to do an experiment where you look at yeah, someone man. and you say, yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm a scientist, so I'd want you to see you do an experiment where you look at someone and you say, ah, they're in the dandelion, but you, you make a little signal behind your back or something to say whether they are or they're not, and then see how it correlates, because otherwise... <laughs> like a psychometric sort of test thing. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That would be interesting. I'm seeing those cards with the circles and the cross and the waves on where they used to, like, <laughs> do telepathy. All right, then. I know we're kind of at the end of our time here. You have some 
schedule you have to keep, but tell us where people can learn more. You have a website and a few books. So tell people where they can get some resources from you to learn more about this. Well, I've got the two books, Breathe Golf and Connected Golf. They're on Amazon and in your bookstores and all the other platforms. On my website, I have an ebook which is called The Practice of High Performance, and that applies this training for athletes of any sport. I also have an audio program which is called the 12-Week Mind-Body Performance Challenge. So if you want to start experimenting with this and run it alongside your cycling, running, going to the gym, your nutrition, stretching and all of that, then that's there for you. My website is chi-performance.com. So chi, C-H-I, is the Chinese word for the breath or energy. So it's chi-performance.com. And on there, there's a free training report if you sign up for the newsletter. There's a blog which goes back like 10 years. There's YouTube videos. There's everything you could ever want. And I am a taskmaster, but I am also very friendly. I'm very approachable. So if anybody has a question, I mean, I even do, I better not say this, I don't want to have too many, but I even do free half hour phone calls on WhatsApp. If you want to do the practice. Oh, careful. We've got tens of thousands yeah, of people listening right. to exactly. this. <laughs> Let's start with the website. <laughs> no, we, we appreciate you taking your time. And it was kind of a timely conversation for me because I've been thinking about this stuff in my life and my ability to kind of quiet my mind and, I've been wanting to do something like this. I used to kind of quiet myself. I do take daily walks where I try and do it. That's part of it. I think it's helped me on the course and in life in general, but I could probably go a step further. So I love what you had to say, and I appreciate you bringing a different perspective to our listeners. Even And, and the best part about it is it's, it's quite simple and not complicated to understand. It's very simple, yeah. You work on Team Mind Body, and Team Mind Body will sort the shot out. It's <laughs> true. Well, again, we appreciate your time, and we'll wrap it up there. So, Adam, where can everyone find your information? AdamYoungGolf.com, or my book is on Amazon as well, The Practice Manual, The Ultimate Guide for Golfers. And, John, where can people find you and your information? You can find one of my sites, The Four Foundations of Golf. And you can check out my book on Amazon. We're all Amazon people here, the four foundations of golf. So we appreciate everyone listening as always, your feedback, and we will see you soon with a new episode.